Today marks the Sunday before Great Lent, the last Sunday before Great Lent. From tomorrow, we are asked to fast more strictly, spend more time in prayer, and look for opportunities to give alms. Today's readings tell us how we are to go about that. Christ tells us to forgive one another, because if we do not forgive, how can we expect to be forgiven? This is not easy. Many times people have been hurt very badly. But to be making an effort to do so is necessary for our own spiritual health and for the well-being of the whole body of Christ and, in fact, for the whole world. Father Stephen Freeman recently wrote an article on his blog, Glory to God, for all things about making small beginnings to forgive when it seems almost impossible to do so. And he says to start by finding something small that the person who hurt you has done, doesn't matter how small, that you could give thanks for. And giving thanks for the, the thing that that person has done will begin to change your own heart to soften it towards that person. So I recommend that article if you can find it on his blog as, as reading for the beginning of Great Lent just to get started. Christ also tells us to fast, pray and give alms but not so that other people know about it. We should keep our efforts to ourselves and not look into what other people are doing. We all start from different places and with different weaknesses and strengths so there is nothing to be gained in comparing or minding other people's business. We should always remember that whatever we see, we see only partially, and that it is only God that is able to judge the heart rightly. But today I don't really want to focus on the actual mechanics of fasting and so on. The other major theme for today is actually the expulsion of Adam and Eve from paradise. I want to have a look at that today. So, these things that we do, the the prayer, the fasting, the almsgiving, this is what we do in the coming weeks of the fast, the kind of actions that we take. But today we are also remembering, the, as I said, the expulsion of Adam and Eve from paradise. And it is this event that provides the context for what we are doing and shows us what we are aiming for with our fasting, prayer and almsgiving. When God created Adam and Eve, he made them in an intermediate state. Many of the church fathers say this. They were made in an intermediate state with the possibility of mortality. So they could fall into mortality, but also, of course, with the possibility of divinity. To grow and mature into divinity with, Christ, with partaking of Christ. And he placed them in a garden in the east of Eden. Now, because we are modern people and not familiar with the imagery of um, Genesis, it's easy for us to miss the significance of this of the garden, the Garden of Eden. You've all heard it in, you know, Sunday school or other stories, and just think of it as just some some garden that God planted. But in the ancient world, there were a number of places where the gods were typically worshipped. This is all gods of any people anywhere in the ancient world. There were cave sanctuaries, sanctuaries on mountain peaks, tree sanctuaries, house sanctuaries, and so on. Of interest to us is the tree sanctuary and the peak sanctuary. So gardens with walls with a sacred tree in it, mountain peaks where they had altars, because the imagery that we get for this garden from Genesis is exactly like that. Moreover, in Ezekiel, the garden is also referred to as the mountain of God, so it's referred to as a mountain. So what we see here is a mountain garden, and the imagery is all temple imagery. 
It's imagery that ancient people would have understood straight away, but we miss because we don't have the vocabulary anymore for that. And um, this imagery is picked up very clearly by St. Ephraim the Syrian. If you would like to, to read about it, read his Hymns on Paradise. Um, there's a book um, it's translated by Sebastian Brock, I think, um, Hymns on Paradise, and the introduction to that book is fantastic. It, it explains his, imag his imagery of it, and it's just wonderful. So if you're interested in this stuff, just go ahead and buy that book. It's wonderful. But it's picked up by him in his Hymns on Paradise. He describes paradise as a mountain garden, and um, what we see with this mountain garden is that the lower regions formed, you can think of it as the church, okay, because it's the same structure. The pattern of the church is patterned on paradise. So we can see the narthex as the lower regions of, of the mountain, where paradise and the outside world meet, okay, where the repentant come, but they're not quite justified, they're not coming into the nave. The nave is where the justified, the just are, the people who are in, in the church, the members of the body of Christ, where we meet and come together. And the highest part of the mountain was the place where the glorified are, those who have been glorified in Christ. Between, the, between the, the middle reach and the upper reach was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that served as the sanctuary curtain between the, like the nave and the, the sanctuary we have here. It's, it served as a curtain between the middle reach and the upper reach of this mountain. So the imagery here is very, very good for us to imagine this mountain as like our church. We can kind of see it that way. So Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden but were barred from going higher than the tree of knowledge of good and evil until such time as they had matured, could enter the sanctuary and eat of the tree of life, which is actually Christ, and then acquire divinity. Now, of course, this didn't happen. We know that this didn't happen. In Genesis 3, we read, Now the servant was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, we may not eat. God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So God's only commandment to them was to fast from the fruit of just one tree. Having eaten of the fruit, their eyes were opened and they saw their own nakedness because they had lost the glory with which they had been robed. Hiding from God, they made themselves clothes of fig leaves to cover their shame. When given the chance to repent, they blamed each other and so confirmed the path that they would take. St. Ephraim's image of paradise, in his image, the lower reaches are for the repentant. So we can see in this image that there was a place for repentance for them. Even, even after they had eaten of that fruit, even though they, they had broken the commandment that God gave them, there was still a place of repentance for them. But they didn't take it. Being so, yeah... His, in his image, the, the lower part is for the repentant, so the middle part is for the just and the upper part is for the glorified. There, is, there was no place for the unrepentant in paradise. So, um, being no place for them, they were expelled to prevent them from eating of the tree of life and ending up permanently in that state. So now mortal, they were barred from paradise by a cherubim with a flaming sword 
and began a life of involuntary exile in a world that was tainted by the corruption that they had brought into it. So why is it that we are, meant, we are reminded of all of this at the beginning of Lent? Why does the church ask us to think about the expulsion of Adam and Eve from paradise just before we begin the fast? We're asked, of course, to see ourselves as Adam and Eve, to put our, ourselves in their place, to see their fall as our own, because in truth we have fallen just as they have. But unlike Adam and Eve, who were involuntarily exiled from paradise, we are being asked to go into a kind of voluntary exile from the world for the next 40 days in order to concentrate on reorienting ourselves to God. When Christ had been fasting for 40 days after his baptism in the Jordan, the devil came to him and tested him on three points. The lust of the flesh, because he was hungry, and so the devil said to him, turn the stones into bread. The pride of life, he was daring him to throw himself off the temple, you know, um, cast himself off and prove that he was the Messiah by this ostentatious show of power. And the lust of the eyes, which was when he said, look at the glory of all the things in the world and I'll give all these things to you if you worship me. These three things that Christ was tempted in are exactly the three things that Adam and Eve were also tempted in in the garden. And they were the things that Adam and Eve failed to resist in the garden. And we are being asked to take up the fight against these three temptations anew, again. More intently for the next 40 days, we should always be fighting against them, but we're, we're asked to take it up more intently for the next 40 days and fast just as Christ did. By reducing the amount of food and the types of food that we eat, we fight, against the priori- we fight against the temptation to prioritise the needs of the body over the needs of real life, which is our life in God. It also weakens us. Fasting weakens us. It humbles us. It reminds us that we do not have life in ourselves, but that all life comes from God. By giving alms, we fight the temptation to grasp the things of this world to ourselves, and remind ourselves that all those things will pass away. Through prayer, we turn to the only source of life and we allow him to illumine and sweep clean the dark places in us. And there are many dark places that we don't see. And this is a time when we can start to look and uncover those things. Remember, and we're going ahead a few weeks here, I think it's the fifth Sunday of Lent, we, we, celebrate, we remember St. Mary of Egypt, but... I just want to pick up a point from that story. Remember in the story of St. Mary of Egypt how St. Zosimus went to the monastery of St. John the Baptist uh, near the Jordan River. At that monastery, they had the custom of farewelling each other at, um, after Forgiveness Vespers, which is today on this Sunday. They would farewell each other and then they would go out into the wilderness for 40 days by themselves. They could take whatever they wanted in terms of supplies, but they were to go out into the desert by themselves not meet anybody and spend their time alone with God in whatever way was seemed fit to them and then return on Palm Sunday. So during that time, they were to prepare themselves to meet Christ, right? To, by prayer, fasting, to meet Christ on Palm Sunday as he goes towards his resurrection, the death and resurrection, which is, opens the gates of paradise again to, to all of us. 
As I said, they were not to come together in the wilderness, not to meet anybody. And when they returned, they were not to tell anybody what, the, the, what they had been doing. All their efforts that they had done in the, de- in the wilderness, all the things that they'd, all the prayers they'd said, the fasting, however strict it was, however you know, lax it was, whatever. That was between them and God, not between them and anybody else. So, um, as I said, that's, that idea of keeping whatever happens in the fast is between you and God. It's not between you and other people or you're not looking for other people. This is, of course, the readings that we had today from the Gospel and from the Epistle are saying the same thing. I really like this image of, the, of what we're doing in the fast, going into the wilderness and making time to prepare ourselves to meet Christ. In traditional Orthodox countries, uh, you know, they, their way of life actually changes around this time, or it used to at least. The, the, the societies were set up in such a way that you could live the, the Lenten fast in a more intense way. In modern Australia, of course, we don't have the ability to do that. Uh, we can't just go into the desert somewhere for 40 days and leave the world behind. Our lives are very busy. And in the usual run of events, we don't seem to have a chance to have a deeper encounter with Christ. There's just too much activity and noise in our lives. So we need this Lenten period to free ourselves from the cares of the world at least a little bit and give ourselves the space and time to quieten our hearts and turn in concentration to Christ. St. Macarius the Great is famously quoted as as saying or, or writing, the heart itself is but a small vessel, yet dragons are there and there are also lions, there are poisonous beasts and all the treasures of evil. But there too is God, the angels, the life and the kingdom, the light and the apostles, the heavenly cities and the treasuries of grace. All things are there. This Lent, let us also go out into the wilderness in whatever way we are able to and give ourselves more time and space to be watchful over our hearts, guarding ourselves against the temptations which we've been told about, the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And look forward to Palm Sunday when we can sing with the psalmist, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Rejoice,